0: Good morning, class. Good morning again. That's better. (laughs) I was arguing with myself, not you. It's good to see you. Next Sunday, Brother Eric Lyons will be in here. The next Sunday, the 25th, I will not. I will be in a gospel meeting, so you'll have a different teacher. I hope to come back on the first Sunday in October. But today we're going to continue with the introduction of Hebrews. This is number two. Very, very important class. The notes that I have projected are not going to be thorough notes. They're something that the student, if you're serious, can write down the uh, references and study them later because I'll talk about them today. Let's go to slide number two. And please understand that in order to know what the Bible teaches we have to know what it says. There's so many people who try to interpret the Bible without knowing what it says so let's understand what it says. When I was a lad in Big Cove that's across the mountain we worked hard. We were sharecroppers almost everybody that lived there. We worked hard. We laid the crops by and then We had gospel meetings, sometimes called protracted meetings, meaning they lasted a long time. Two weeks, some of them, morning and night, was a thrilling time. Our textbook was the New Testament. Yes, we studied Adam and we studied Noah, Abraham and Jonah and learned from those, but we did not spend any time studying the theology of the Old Testament. It was not important. We did not need to know the theology, of the Old Testament. We did not need to know the priests. We did not need to know the, uh, sacrifices. At least we thought so. It's the reason, of course, we thought so. Some years ago, I was preaching at a gospel meeting in, in, in another state. And I preached a sermon one night. On forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament. And I was approached on three different occasions. By men and women who disagreed with what I said. I was concerned because I thought I had arrived at truth. I drove back through Montgomery and stopped at Brother Rex Turner's office. Brother Turner, I said, here's what I preached. In a gospel meeting. I told him and he said, you were right. I said, but that's not what we've normally been taught. He said, no, but you were right. I said, thank God. He thinks I'm right anyway. A couple of years ago, I was teaching a course on internet and I ran into the subject of forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament And I found a class of ministerial students who disagreed with me. It took me a long time to convince them enough so they could pass the test. Because they all said sins were not forgiven in the Old Testament. So a few weeks ago, I started another class at a university. And I said to my students, ministerial students, I said, we're going to take time to learn that sins were forgiven in the Old Testament one of the young men 20 years of age said brother Andrews I know sins were forgiven in the old testament I have read the book of Leviticus I said thank God for you chapters four and five in Leviticus one time says do this and their sins shall be forgiven them six times it says do this 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 this, and his sins will be forgiven him you can't get any plainer than that but that's just not exactly how we have believed it. It didn't get through. You see, in the Old Testament, on Atonement Day, the Day of Atonement, the high priest laid the sins of the people on the head of a scapegoat. That was the goat for Azazel. Had the God's goat and Azazel, Azazel goats. You don't read of Azazel's goat in the, in your Bible, probably, unless you have a real modern translation, because... We don't have Azazel there, even though the Hebrew does. We have scapegoat. You know why we call him a scapegoat? Because he's the goat that escaped. And when the King James Version was translated and the version before that, the great Bible, they knew nobody knew what Azazel was. And could have kept projecting and know that nobody in the twenty second in, in the 21st century knows what it is. And nobody in the 22nd century will know what it is. We don't know. We can't define it. So they made it simple. It's the goat that escaped. That's good enough. But he took the sins into the wilderness. The word forgiveness means to send away. That's all it means, to send away, to send out. Several years ago, I was invited into another state to preach a sermon on that subject. The first thing I did in that church, I said, how many of you believe that sins are rolled forward in the Old Testament? Everybody in the congregation raised his hand except one person. I said, how many of you believe that sins were forgiven in the Old Testament? One person raised his hand. I said, there's a problem here. And the problem is, The word forgiven is used in the Old Testament of sins. Rolled forward is never used in the Old Testament of sins. Now, I know the semantics. It's different. I understand that. The reason we haven't been taught that sins were forgiven in the Old Testament is because we do not believe sins can be forgiven except by the blood of Christ. That is not true. Sins cannot be paid for except by the blood of Christ. They can be taken away, but they still exist. The sins taken into the wilderness were taken away. They were remitted. They were sent away, forgiven, but they still existed. And without Jesus' blood, the person who had been forgiven would have had those sins piled back on him. No sin was ever forgiven and paid for until Jesus Christ died on the cross. Forgiven, but not paid for. That's how it had to be. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. But in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, the blood of bulls and goats did not take away sins. The power of God removed those sins. And he assumed the responsibility. The blood of bulls and goats had no power to do that. And God had no power, incidentally, to look over those sins perpetually. He had to finally pay the price, which he did at the cross of Christ. I heard a preacher say one time, many years ago, when David died every sin he had ever committed was on his shoulders. I don't believe that. I heard the preacher say that, and I'm the preacher that said that. I don't believe that. I believe God had removed those sins. They were not yet paid for, but he had removed them. Now let's look at slide three. I wonder if we've simplified too much. We've looked at the uh, Old Testament, the New Testament, and said, okay, there are three ages. There are patriarchal age mosaic age and Christian age. Is that too simple? Do we need to say more? First of all, in Exodus chapter 24, verse 8, Moses read the book, that is the law he had gotten, sprinkled the altar and the people with oxen blood. That ushered in the mosaic age. Here's the patriarchal age now. Exodus 24, the Mosaic age is coming in. And then, Colossians 2.14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, which was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He did that at the beginning of the Christian age. So we have the Mosaic age hemmed in there, 1,500 years. We have the cross of Christ, and then we have the Christian age beginning. How much of the old law was nailed to the cross? Every bit of it. Every bit of it. And that announcement, incidentally, was made on Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly that came a sound from heaven as much rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues like as fire and set upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's the beginning of the activities of the Christian dispensation. But there's something different here. Because at that time. There were miracles all over the place. Holy Spirit given to Christians. Apostles baptized with the Holy Spirit. Very different than we have today. A different time in Christianity. Christianity that would change later but not now in fact in 1 Corinthians 13 10 Paul talks about love in this chapter and he says when that which perfect has come that which is in part shall be done away that is the uh, uh, special knowledge special miracles miraculous everything will be done away when that which is perfect has come and it's easy to say well that's when Jesus comes back not so The word perfect there, that which is perfect, is in neuter gender. It does not refer to a man, does not refer to God. It refers to the perfect thing. The perfect thing was the full revelation. And that full revelation was primarily accomplished in that time period. The beginning of the Christian age. And when that was accomplished, we went into what we now have, which is the non-miraculous part of the Christian age. Easy to understand, easy to comprehend, and yet we forget that. Every book in the New Testament was written during that time when miracles were prevalent on the earth. They're no longer prevalent. Doesn't happen that way. So we need to divide the Christian age into two parts. The miraculous part... And the non-miraculous part in which we now live that's what God is getting to he used the miraculous part to lay the foundation <clears throat> get the gospel out to the people and then he took away that miraculous time because he gave the full revelation <laughs> slide number four this is the most important slide that I will present today it is very very important I want us to look at chronology. In AD 26, John the Baptist came preaching. Incidentally, I want to talk about dates for just a minute. It is easy to say Jesus was born January 1st, AD 1. The only thing, that didn't happen that way. According to the best scholars, Herod the Great died in 4 B.C. Herod the Great was living when Jesus was born. Well, how could Jesus be born before Christ? Well, somebody got the calendar messed up. He was born at least 5 B.C., maybe 7 B.C. We're not sure. When was the church established? We don't know. A.D. 33 is our standard answer. That's not correct. Might have been as early as A.D. 27. I compromise, just say A.D. 30, how's that? Because if God had wanted us to know, I'm sure he would have spelled it out. But we're going to use A.D. 30 as Jesus' time to establish the church the day of Pentecost, if you'll let me get by with that. Now, John came in A.D. 26, or 27, four years earlier, three or four years earlier. In Mark 1, 4, Jesus came preaching a baptism of repentance For the remission of sins. That sounds like Acts chapter 2. How could he do that? Jesus has not even shown himself yet. Jesus' ministry is about to begin. And John is preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He is baptizing penitent people for the remission of sins. That means in order to have the remission of sins. Wow. How could that be the same manner that the blood of bulls and goats caused sins to be, rem- or, or allowed sins to be remitted? They didn't cause it. God forgave sins at the sacrifice of the bullock and the goat on the day of atonement. The sins still existed, but He sent them away. And here John says, "Your sin will be sent away," the same as with Pentecost. Repent and be baptized. That your sins may be sent away. Well, then John's baptism was, uh, that was the same as, as the Pentecostal baptism. No, it wasn't either. The sins that were sent away at John's baptism were not yet paid for. They still existed. When the sins were sent away at Pentecost, they ceased to exist. Because the blood of Jesus Christ paid for them. Nothing but Christ's blood could pay for sins. Nothing and no sins were paid for until he died on the cross they were sent away Matthew three one, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that means it's near and John who preached that you know became increasingly concerned because he was in prison threatened with persecution and execution and said you know is Jesus really the one is he the one I'm in here for what I thought he taught. He's allowing me to be uh, executed, it seems. So he sent to Jesus, asked him the question. Jesus sent a message back. He didn't say, John, I'm coming to see you. I don't worry about anything. I want to take care of you. Sent a message back. And he said, here's what Isaiah said. I'm the one fulfilling that. But I love what he said at the end of that in Matthew 11, verse 6. He finishes this with the poor, how the gospel preached them. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. John, you're going to die. You're going to die for the cause. You've done your work. We're going to remove you. And then generically he said, blessed is he that is not offended in me. See that I have a purpose in this. You have a greater life beyond. Jesus said in uh, Matthew 9, verse 1, There are some of you standing here who will not taste death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And it would come within two or three years. The kingdom of God would come with power. I never will forget. I lived at one time when I was a young preacher next door to... uh, A preacher, he and I talked a little over the fence. And he told me one day, he said, you know, things are getting bad here. I think the Lord is about to return. I said, well, you know, he said back then, there's some standing here that will not taste death until they see the kingdom come with power. The kingdom came then. He said, no, 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 no. He, he said that in a context of when these things come to pass and these things with wars and storms and all this kind of stuff are coming to pass. And now, he said, that is being fulfilled now. And I want to be very kind with what I say, but I learned a long time ago not to argue with a... Well, you finish the sentence. Let's look at the calendar. Acts <clears> one eight, <throat> the church is about to be established. Eighty thirty, we're calling it. But you shall receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Very simple that happened in the next chapter acts 2 verses 41 and 42 summarize salvation and worship listen to it then those who gladly received his word were baptized there were added to them that day about three thousand souls you know they had asked men and brethren what shall we do Joel had said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They didn't know how to call. They had not been told how to call. Peter told them how to call, repent, and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the mission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They that heard the word were baptized. There was added to them that day about 3,000 souls. Now look at the worship. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. There is their worship. Does not mention singing there. That was part of the worship we see later. But here, the apostles' doctrine, they were taught. Fellowship, they gave of their means. Breaking of bread, that's the Lord's Supper. And then prayers. I said that to say this. It is easy to take verses 41 and 42 and say, New Testament Christianity was very simple. And it was. Here's how to be saved. Here's how to worship. We have that pattern. There's no reason for any confusion in the early church. They had some problems, of course. Ananias and Sapphira were selfish. And they were killed because of their sin. And the Grecian widows were being neglected. And uh, that had to be handled. But things seem to be going pretty well. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 6 verse 7. After the Grecian widows were attended to. Then the word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And we have lauded this part. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Great. The people of Judaism... That didn't respond on the day of Pentecost are now beginning to respond with the gospel outreach. Things are perfect, or are they? I want to tell you about Joyce. Joyce was a young mother, a great Christian, new in the faith when she moved into the area where I preached. She sat down and talked with me. She said, I want to tell you my background. And she did. And then the first Monday that she was a member of that congregation, she called me on Monday morning. She said, Brother Andrews, I know you're not a priest for me. I know we're all priests. But for many, many years, I have confessed my sins to a priest and I must talk to you. Am I free to do that? I said, yes. She said, well, I yelled at my husband this morning. I lost my temper. And I need forgiveness. I said, if you've asked God, He's already done that. But this goes on next Monday morning, next Monday morning, next Monday morning. And I tried to put myself in her situation. She had done that since she was a little girl. And she couldn't get away from it. Was it wrong for her to call and tell me these things? Well, not wrong for her to do that. I never led her astray. I never forgave her sins, and she didn't ask me to. She just wanted to talk about it. And she went on to say this. She said, you know, I became a member of the Church of Christ. I was shocked. By some things that happened. She said, I'd always gone into worship and I cursed before the Virgin Mother. And everything was as quiet as a mouse. I went inside, sat down, and prayed. Everybody else was praying to themselves. And she said, That's what we did until the priest got up to begin the worship. She said, That's not the way it is in churches of Christ. I know well of course that's not mandated that's a custom it's a good custom if we leave the cursing to the Virgin Mary out it's a good custom to come in and sit down and be quiet and pray silently until the worship starts I don't have any problem with that but that was her custom that's just what she did now let me ask you a question would any eldership Disagree with what I did when I listened to her Confession and then encouraged her I Doubt any eldership would Let me ask you another question Many of the priests Were obedient to the faith Suppose one of the priests Became a preacher they were qualified And she called the priests would his listening have been indifferent? He's been doing that 30 years. She's been doing that all her life. Do you think there might have sort of been a movement to this might not be good? This may be a taste of cultism. Is there a danger of this priest being in that position? before he's really matured. I'll leave that with you. Many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Yay! These men were spiritual leaders. These men belonged to fathers who were spiritual leaders. These men came from a long lineage of spiritual leaders. Are all of them going to always be satisfied with singing and praying and Lord's Supper, teaching, giving? I'm just asking. Yes, that means they became Christians. That's what it means. We'll get there later. Yes, there might be a problem developing here. We'll look at it. A.D. 50, 20 years after the church was established. Acts 15.5, but some of the sect, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. These people were Christians. Rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Oh, I'm sorry. I left out Acts twenty-two, 16. Seven years after the church. Now, why, why are you waiting? Why, terrorists, thou arise, be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's Paul. And then later on, the, what I just read there, there was a sect of the Pharisees who believed. They were members of the church. They rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. In order for the church to be what it ought to be, in order for Christianity to be what it ought to be, in order for Christ to be what he ought to be, we have to take the law of Moses into account. God gave the law of Moses on Mount Sinai. It has to be a part of Christianity. Christianity cannot be perfect without it. We have to put it in. We forget about culture. This is culture and conviction. I'm being facetious, of course. We must not have the law of Moses, but they believe we should. Eighty fifty-two to 55, Paul writes the Galatians, and uh, this is lengthy, but I'm going to read all of it. On the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised had been given to me, and the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter. for he who worked effectually in Peter, for the apostleship, to the circumcised, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace that had been given to me, they gave to me in Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. What is the difference? In the gospel to the Gentiles. And the gospel to the Jews. There's no difference in the gospel. But there's a difference in culture. And God said. I see the difference in culture. I know it. I understand it. We're going to let Peter deal with the Jews. We're going to let Paul deal with Gentiles. And they of course were to deal in God's way. But did they? Was it always that way? AD 58. We're 28 years past the establishment of the church. We're 12 years away from the fall of Jerusalem. We talked about this last time, Acts 21. This is a long passage, but I'm going to read, spot read through it. Anyway, Paul comes into Jerusalem. He ended his third missionary journey. Comes into Jerusalem. He wants to be there for Pentecost. It was his custom to keep some of the uh, traditions of Pentecost. Nothing that would block out Christ. Nothing that would even introduce Moses into Christianity. He had a vow. And then the church meets him and uh, he reports on... Or the leaders do. He reports on what has happened. And they are very happy about that. And then in verse 20... And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. They said to him, You see, brother... How many myriads, that's thousands of Jews there are, who have believed and are zealous for the law. Did you hear that? They believed and were zealous for the law. That's in Jerusalem now. But they've been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children, nor walk according to the customs. This is Jerusalem almost 30 years after the church has been established. You want to go back now and say, and many of the priests were converted. What then? What are we going to do about this? The assembly must meet. That's the church, or probably an elite group in the church. They will hear that you've come. Therefore, do what we tell you. Take four men, pay their fee. Go ahead and do your vows and so forth. And why that all may know that those things of which they were informed of you informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. We don't have everything here, but we know that Paul did what they told him to do. He took the men, Next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of the purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Paul was arrested. He was accused of taking a Gentile into the temple. Was arrested He was finally sent to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. Imprisoned at Rome. The Bible closes with him under house arrest. There is a tradition that he was released temporarily, went to Spain, came back, arrested by Nero, put in a dungeon and executed. We do not have that account in the Bible. So we don't know that that occurred. But Paul was never a free man after this in the Bible. He was never a free man. So here we have 28 years after the church was established, there's a big thing going with Judaism and Christianity. Okay, let's go to the next slide. God said, I've had enough. I'm through with this. This is crazy. Jesus is the greatest teacher. He is the only teacher that we should listen to. Jesus plus anything is a corruption. You know, when you have something perfect, what are you going to do to it to make it more perfect? Have a perfect steel ball. It is a sphere. Nobody can see it's anything but a sphere. You can take your, uh, your uh, measurement your measuring instruments, and test it, you'll not find a single flaw in it. And I say to you, make this more perfect. Here's a file. Here's a solder and Whatever. iron. What do you need to make it more perfect? James, if I touch it, it will become imperfect. Galatians 3.24 Wherefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The word tutor is a Greek word that means leader of a child. This tutor was not a teacher of mathematics or history or anything like that. He was a teacher of how to do things. Make sure you look well when you go out in public. Here are your clothes. Wear them properly. Take your hat off at the right time. Here's how to greet people. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Our tutor to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith now that Christ has come. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Just a part of a school- No, no, no. Not a part of it. Just that part of the, the schoolmaster, that Makes things, No, he won't make things better here. Jesus Christ is perfect. Now, let's look at slide number six, the final slide. God said, I've had enough. God said, I have to, you have to leave Moses. Now, Hebrews six is a difficult passage, and there's controversy over this in our brotherhood as to what it means. And I'm not a scholar. I'm a student of the Bible. But here's my convictions on this passage. Therefore, leaving Hebrews 6, 1, therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. The word leaving there. We'll get to this when we come to chapter six in a little more detail but I want to emphasize it. The word leaving is aphiamy. The Greek word is aphiamy. It simply means to remit, yield up, expire, let go, let alone divorce. I want you to divorce yourself from the elementary principles of Christ. Well, now, he mentions faith and he mentions laying on of hands and so forth. He's talking about that, I think, in the Old Testament. He says, leave Moses, divorce Moses. Get away from Moses. Ephiame. Same word for remission of sins. When sins are remitted, Ephiame, they're gone away. When a person divorces his wife, that's me. He gets rid of her. Look at uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 22. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God that perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. Ephiame. me. May be forgiven you. First Corinthians seven eleven. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried, <clears throat> or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband is not to affix me his wife, not to divorce his wife. And then in uh, Jeremiah thirty one verse thirty one, God promises, "I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the old covenant." And He goes on to say. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. The big cold philosophy was you can't forgive without forgetting. You can't forgive without forgetting. That's not Bible. God forgave in the Old Testament. He remembered every year. He remembered. He forgave and remembered. He said the time's coming when I'm going to forgive and I won't remember anymore. That time started to happen at Pentecost. Thank God. And then Hebrews 8.13, in that he says a new covenant. He's talking about that passage from Jeremiah. He has made the first covenant obsolete. At that time it became obsolete. Now that which is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Those words were probably written mid-60s. AD 65, maybe AD 68. We're not sure what is about to happen Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. Did they know that? No. Did God know it? Yes. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 18. This passage I I read, I think I know what it means, and I'm reluctant to say that because most most scholars don't know what it means. And I'm not a scholar. I'm just a student. But it looks obvious to me. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, to the blackness and darkness of the tempest, the sound of the trumpet, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be taken spoken to them anymore. Now you remember there in the Old Testament that Moses comes down from the mountain and he he preaches to them and they say, no, no, no. They couldn't touch the mountain. Like, you know, it's, it's that kind of situation. They don't want to hear it anymore. It's too precious. Verse 22, but you have come to the Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an immeasurable company of angels, to the general assembly, assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Look at verse uh, 26. His voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are being shaken, as of things that are being made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we serve God, acceptably with reverence and godly fear, For God is a consuming fire. No the kingdom was not coming to earth at that time. But the kingdom was being advertised. The kingdom was established on earth in AD 30. Day of Pentecost. The church was thought of as a sect of the Jews. We had the Pharisees, the Sadducees. The Zealots. And those of the Nazarene. And Paul hated that new sect. He called it a sect. We're not through yet. It's emphasized as a sect. But you know what happened in AD 70? General Titus, under the hand of Jesus Christ, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. He forever ended Judaism. Oh, I thought Judaism ended at the cross. It did. Nobody knew it, or few people knew it. They kept on practicing it. Without a temple, they couldn't. And God said, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken. And when he got through shaking in AD 70, there was left that little sect of the Jews that was not a sect of the Jews. It was what you and I belong to. It was the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom on earth. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I enjoy the class i If you have questions, let me know. We have little time for discussion in this class, but I will deal with your questions if you yes uh, I thought it was it is mark nine one in my notes. Thank you for saying that uh, okay it's mark nine one on the screen. So correct your notes, please. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for the blessings we have. Thank you for the word. Thank you for our ability to study and discuss it. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to love Jesus Christ more daily. We pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's word.